We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome back. I am Seth Leapson as we head into Hour 3. Our friend Josh Hammer over at Newsweek puts the byplay between Senator Josh Hawley and that law professor at Berkeley that we played the audio of yesterday. He writes this, quote, The deeply fractured reaction to yesterday's viral Senator Hawley exchange is a black-pilling moment. I cannot for the life of me understand the perspective that he lost that exchange or was owned by the lib law professor. How can you share a civilization with those who object to the most rudimentary biological building blocks of civilization, namely that men are men, women are women, and there is a meaningful God-given difference between the two? Adam Johnson then weighed in to write, I've been thinking on this point a lot. If two sides can't even agree on the basic understanding of men and women and the biological differences between them, how can we move forward to cooperate on anything? Now, this gets us to something deep and deeply disturbing. Harry Jaffa put it that, quote, it cannot be emphasized too often that the root of all human relationships, the root of all morality is nature, which is itself grounded in the generative distinction of male and female. Might we pose a moment a moment on this most troublesome of words for the left, the N-word, if you will, nature? The very word itself is pregnant with meaning, as its very etymology from the Latin is based in the notion of human birth, literally birth, from natus, born, past participle of nashi, to be born. Nature means birth means generative. Thus, Harry would write, quote, the distinction between a man and a woman is a distinction as fundamental as any in nature, because it is the very distinction by which nature itself is constituted. It is the ability of two members of the same species to generate a third that confirms them as members of the same species. It thereby confirms male and female members of the human species in that equality of rights to which they are entitled as members of that species. Now, this professor at Berkeley, who believes, A, anyone questioning that men can give birth is responsible for violence, and that, B, abortion is a procedural, never mind constitutional right for men, is, as it turns out and appears, a racial minority. I would not usually mention or notice something like this, except to note, as in my case for being an ethnic and religious minority, that it is this very ground of nature that is responsible for her and my, all of our equality, rights, and privileges in societies like ours that grant human equality, rights, and privileges based on the fact that we are quite simply, by nature, that nagging N-word, human. You've heard me cite Jaffa on this before, and it's worth doing again. Quote, both Nazis and Marxist communists take as their foundations a view of history derived from the 19th century neo-Darwinian biology. The Nazis saw history as a competition of races with the struggle for power, 
determining who was the fittest and who deserved to survive and rule. The master race stood in the same relationship to the inferior races that the human race had stood in relationship to the lower order of animals in the old view of things. Hence, these inferior races could, logically and consistently, be enslaved or exterminated or used for their hides and tallow the same way we use cattle. The Holocaust was no more to them than the shambles of the Kansas City stockyards to us. In the case of the communists, they substituted the word class struggle for the race struggle of the Nazis. But the human consequences are the same. Anything that was determined or denominated counter-revolutionary in a Stalinist regime suffered the same fate as anything called dysgenic or racially harmful in the Nazi regime. That is why the abandonment of human nature is the abandonment of the ground of all morality. And at root, to repeat, the distinction between a man and a woman is a distinction as fundamental as any in nature because it is the very distinction by which nature itself is put together, constituted. The ability of two members of the same species to generate a third that confirms them as members of that species. It thereby confirms male and female members of the human species in that equality of rights to which they are all entitled, entitled as a member of that species. Which is why communism, like Nazism, is opposed to, abhorrent to, and poised against, and challenging to, Nature. If men and women are not biologically different, neither are humans and other animals. And thus, in those regimes, you could do to humans what you would naturally do to animals. This is why Jefferson could write, The general spread of the light of science has already laid open to every view the palpable truth that the mass of mankind has not been born with saddles on their backs, nor favored few booted and spurred ready to ride them legitimately by the grace of God. And this is why Karl Marx, Frederick Engels, no less than Adolf Hitler and Joseph Mengele, were opposed to nature, trying to, in their own words, upend and change it. We shall be as gods. How did Whitaker Chambers put it? Communism is not new, he wrote. It is, in fact, man's second oldest faith. Its promise was whispered in the first days of the creation under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ye shall be as gods. It is the great alternative faith of mankind. Like all great faiths, its force derives from a simple vision. Other ages have had great visions. They have always been, there have always been different versions of the same vision. The vision of God and man's relationship to God. The communist vision is the vision of man without God or man acting as a god. It is the vision of man's mind displacing God as the creative intelligence of the world. It is the vision of man's liberated mind by the sole force of its rational intelligence, redirecting man's destiny and reorganizing man's life and world. It is the vision of man, once more the central figure of the creation, not because God made man in his image, but because man's mind makes him the most intelligent of the animals. Copernicus and his successors displaced man as the central fact of the universe by proving that the earth was not the central star of the universe. Communism restores man to his sovereignty by the simple method of denying God. And that is what Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, the founders of 19th century communism, set upon, starting with the disruption of the family and the reorientation and superannuation of nature. In the Communist Manifesto, Chapter 2, 
They are explicit on this point, Marx and Engels are. The Western family stands in the way of their social and political goals or upheaval. Here's how they write it, quote, abolition of the family. On what foundation is the present family, the bourgeois family based? On capital and on private gain. It is completely, in its completely developed form, this family exists only among the bourgeois. But this state of things finds its complement in the practical absence of the family among the proletarians and in public prostitution. The bourgeois family will vanish as a matter of course when its complement vanishes, and both will vanish with the vanishing of capital. Do you tell us, excuse me, do you charge us with wanting to stop the exploitation of children by their parents? To this crime, we plead guilty, close quote. Now you can understand why the BLM movement and its curriculum, designed by self-declared trained Marxists, states the disruption of the Western family is one of the BLM goals, because it is one of Marxism's main goals. Marx put it that nature is, quote, a totality of needs and drives, close quote, and that needs drive nature, not the other way around. In other words, nature is a social construct. Marx puts this perfectly clearly when he writes, quote, the essence of man is no abstraction inherent in each single individual. In reality, it is the ensemble of the social relations, close quote, a social construct, whatever humans can make of it. Thus, no need for distinctions between humans and animals, humans and God, families and no families, men and women. As O'Brien, the protagonist in George Orwell's 1984, puts it, quote, we control matter because we control the mind. Reality is inside the skull. You will learn by degrees. There is nothing that we cannot do. Invisibility, levitation, anything. I could float off this floor like a soap bubble if I wish to. I do not wish to because the party does not wish me to. You must get rid of these 19th century ideas about the laws of nature. We make the laws of nature. Nothing exists except through human consciousness. Outside man, there is nothing. You are imagining that there is something called human nature which will be outraged by what we do and will turn against us. But we create human nature. Men are infinitely malleable, close quote. For those of you who studied German or even ancient Latin literature, you know this concept is homo faber, roughly man the maker. It's a deeply Marxist concept as well. Man, human, is defined by what, by what he creates and determines and the power of his over nature. It is counterpoised by Deus Faber, God the maker, or just nature, or just the laws of nature and nature's God. Now you know why I use the hashtag MOFA, Make Orwell Fiction Again. Over at Berkeley Law School, they believe in making nature, human or otherwise, fiction. This is not advancement or progress. It is societal slippage and regress. It is social destruction. The level to which it has purchase, however, is the precise conclusion of the long effort to at once embrace leftism and Marxism as an equally alternative and viable philosophy of life and government as we have known it up until now. And it helps explain why the left is so thermotical in its opposition to studying, appreciating, never mind embracing, our founding. 
I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth. For those of you looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out Why Refi. What they are offering is a fixed, no-load interest rate up to ten and a quarter percent for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really great people, where investors do well by doing good for others, and you can be. To check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, and then refy.com. You can also give them a call at 855-316-3087. You won't get any kind of a sales pitch if you call and meet with them. They'll just uh, happily tell you what it is that they do, how they do it, and let it speak for itself. If I may return to the point I quoted in my monologue a moment ago by Adam Johnston when he said he was thinking a lot about this question of the building blocks of civilization being destroyed by this new, what shall we call it, set of neologisms about menstruating persons and men giving birth. He said again, uh, Adam Johnston did, if two sides can't even agree on the basic understanding of men and women and the biological differences between them, how can we move forward and cooperate on anything? Well, here's what really worries me more than anything about this. And it's what I quoted a friend of mine on yesterday or in yesterday's monologue on this. Notice what the law professor did to Josh Hawley. She said immediately upon, I think it was his second question, only his second question, she chose not to answer it, and she said instead, I just want the record to reflect that what you are asking and saying is transphobic. We have gotten used to some of these neologisms over the years, haven't we? Uh, I guess perhaps the first one in recent memory was Islamophobic, Uh, And then that, you know, has now turned into the newest dream palace of the left, which is transphobic. And what these words do, I call them shibboleths, what they do, or, or clang words, if you will, what they do is they signal a sound that is meant to shut you up and shut you down. Shut you up and shut you down for being the equivalent of a racist or in this case, a bigot of some kind against women? No, transphobic is not bigoted against women. And that's the odd thing. I don't think it's bigotry against anyone to question whether men can give birth. I don't think it's bigotry against anyone to question an activist on what it is that a woman constitutes, especially when they work for organizations with women in the name, or especially if they are praised or recipients of affirmative action beneficiaries for being a woman or claiming to be a woman. I have to tell you, I have to tell you, this notion of shutting people up by using these kinds of shibboleths, if it is successful, I don't think it will be, but if it is successful, leads exactly to what my friend, very smart guy, wrote me yesterday, which is this, that the danger in this is the lack of an authentic conversation about all this baloney 
that drives people away from participating in representative democracy, and that only leaves violence as a perceived legitimate tool for change. I want you to think about that. Think about what it means for us to be a republic of letters and words and language protection with protections codified in the First Amendment and throughout our history. Think about what it means to be a species, a human species that has access not only to reason and judgment, but to language, the one thing, reason based on language, the one th- communication, the one thing Aristotle said distinguished us from animals. You take that away. You take the ability to debate and question and reason. You take that away. And, yeah, you bet you are going to force people to act as animals. You are going to. There's no excuse for it. There's no excuse for breaking the law. There's no excuse for violence. But if you abhor violence and you abhor alternate or alternative means to democratic processes like voting, let's say, or debating, let's say, where do you leave people who have strong opinions and strong thoughts about things? Well, you can do one of two things or you can see and witness and stand by and watch and observe. One of two things, people being put in prisons and sent to gulags for wrong think or wrong thinking and the abuse of psychology and psychiatry, as we saw throughout the time of the Soviet Union and as we see in China and Cuba today, you can see people marched off to the prisons or, or and, and, and mental asylums or you will watch them engage in violent acts. You will watch them engage in taking the law into their own hand because human beings only have a couple of things to access when it comes to determining how they live living with the law and in the law or living outside and beyond the law and governments only have two things they can do in any sovereignty in any sovereign and that is allow the people to be self-governing and rule themselves through speech, debate, vote, interaction, civil discourse, civic discourse, even if it's not civil, or, again, punishment, imprisonment for dissidents. That is not something this country did. And when you look at political violence, you are talking about terrorism. And what is terrorism? Terrorism has been understood as politics, and war by other means. Politics as war. The left keeps this up. The left keeps denying speech, the ability to debate, and the assault on reason and logic. And you just kind of have to wonder what kind of society we're going to be left with. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It is a delight to bring back to the show our good friend, Professor Mark Bauerlein, Dr. Bauerlein's most recent book, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up from Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. He is also an editor at First Thing Magazine, among other things. Uh, Professor Bauerlein, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Seth. Uh, I've been on a few times, so you're just going to have to call me. Uh, well, you can either call me Herr Professor Dr. Bauerlein, or you can call me Mark. <laughs> I, well, I have a lot to say about that, but I respect you so much, and you've earned it. Um, 
and you're the kind of professor that this country kind of needs right now. So if for the rest of the audience you'll let me continue to call you doctor or professor, it will be uh, it'll be all in all of our interests, if that's okay. Uh, but thank you. Okay. <laughs> thank uh, you. Sure thank you. It also makes me kind of sit up a little straighter if I know I'm t- talking to my teacher. Um, Mark, I've been going over this by play between Josh Hawley and the Berkeley professor yesterday, Berkeley law professor yesterday. And I want to get to something you tweeted about that put out on Twitter. But before I do, is she not perhaps in some respects the perfect, perfect emblem of what you're writing about in the dumbest generation grows up? This is a woman skilled in all the new thoughts and new language. And probably, I think, hopelessly ignorant of anything, shall we say, old or serious or even pre-1964, maybe. You know, Seth, it's extraordinary just how scripted she found. I mean, she she found it. How predictable was it when suddenly she gets asked a question and challenged on her seat? She just jumped to, you're a transphobe. On the second question, yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah, it was so swift. It, it happened, and you can see that, you know, her anxiety, she might have been nervous. She goes to a rhetorical move that I am sure has served her very well in academia for many years. I mean, she's at a top university. This is a shtick yeah. that has, has worked. Mm-hmm. That's why she, she goes to it now. And you just want to say... My goodness, can you imagine being in her class and having her grade your papers and you whisper one little point out of 20 that makes stray from her outlook? I mean, the students learn very quickly to read their professors and know this is one I cannot disagree with. I mean, there is no debate in her class. We may be sure of that. I think you're right about that, and I don't know. I mean, the bigger concern that I have and worry I have is whether there were any students at UC Berkeley Law School, Bolt Law School, or in her classroom that would want to debate. I mean, that even feel reason to. I mean, I think they're probably sitting there soaking up her uh, her blather like sponges, is my guess, thinking this is wisdom from on high. You, you know, Seth, you're right. Yeah, you're right about that, because at this point, academia is using the filtering mechanism yep. in, in very early That's it. early years. Yep. I mean, even even applying to Berkeley as an undergraduate, you better not say the wrong thing on any, yeah. any personal essay. That's right. You better not have anything in your in your Twitter or your Facebook or your Instagram that does anything politically incorrect. The the pipeline now is operating under greater surveillance than ever before. Yep. I, I mean, it, it is extraordinary how vigilant yeah. they are in keeping everyone out. I mean, one of the amazing things about progressive stuff is that if you've got a department of 25 people and you've got one conservative in the room, and conservative has no power. No. He doesn't right. fear any policy. Votes in department are 24 to 1. Yep. Total conformity. They still want to get rid of that conservative. You bet. They want absolute control. It's not even about diversity. It's, we don't want to even have a sliver of a conservative opinion in the room. It's like they're personally irritated by the very presence 
of this person. That's called the totalitarian mindset. There it is. That's it. That's exactly right. The totalitarian mindset. And it comes with, as we can learn from the history of the Soviet Union, China today, Cuba today, the novels 1984 and the like, it comes with its own lexicon. Uh, and newspeak, and you—that's that's, that's kind of what your tweet was about. And I have to take a quick commercial break, uh, Mark. If you'll allow me, can we come back on this term that you focused on, transphobe and transphobia? Can we talk about what that kind of thing means? You're a professor of English. I would love to talk to you more about this when we come right back. I'm Seth Liebson. He is Mark Bauerlein, B-A-U-E-R-L-E-I-N, and his most recent book just out this year, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up from Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. I think we have that entire valence in that professor at Bolt Law School and probably a lot of other professors there. too. That's an interesting thing. You know, I don't bet there's anyone on that faculty over there who is more than one click to her right, and probably most of them are on the same page, if not two clicks to her left. I'm Seth. He's Mark Bauerlein. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Dr. Mark Bauerlein, Professor Mark Bauerlein, editor at First Things Magazine, uh, emeritus professor of English at Emory University, and author of The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, is with us. Uh, Mark, in the tweet today that caught my attention, I think it speaks volumes what you wrote. You wrote, any Republican candidate who doesn't accept the badge transphobe as a political win doesn't understand the American electorate. electorate. I was talking earlier in the show about these neologisms. I remember Islamophobia pretty well. We're now into the world transphobia. Tell us what you mean by that, and let's talk about what these neologisms uh, are intended to do to us. People are realizing that all these neologisms, these coinages, they are a game that is being played on conservatives. It's a power game because these new terms are invented and they have all this moral valence attached to them. So the phobe game, homophobe, Islamophobe, xenophobe, and now the transphobe. And people have now realized, look, this is a way of making conservatives feel off balance. We're not sure. Wait, wait, what, what did you call me? It, it's like sometimes they, they say, like, like Senator Hawley today, he was, what, wait, what? What, because I said that? It's almost like we're incredulous that these terms are being thrown around. And it worked for a long time. It worked very well, that, you know, the racist term, because there was the moral authority of, of the civil rights movement and the guilt of Jim Crow and, and so on. But when we move now into the trans population, who most people barely knew even existed until the last couple of years, we realize, ah, this is a rhetorical power play that is being inflicted upon us. And Republican politicians need to sit and realize, wait a minute, this transphobe, you're calling me this? Guess what? The vast majority of the American people don't like all of these games that are being played. They don't like all the talk about LGBTQ stuff in primary grades and elementary schools. They don't like drag queen story hours in libraries. And the fact that so many Republican politicians don't even touch this shows they're about 20 years behind the time. They don't care what the New York Times says about, in the editorial page, about Chuck uh, Holly being a transphobe. They don't listen to the Washington Post anymore. Those organs 
of liberal bien pensant thinking, <laughs> they they simply don't have any credibility at this point. Donald Trump proved this. In 2016, he broke all the rules of political correctness that the Republican Party itself had adopted, and he won. And people were so hungry for this kind of directness, this kind of repudiation of the word games of the left, and we see DeSantis doing the same thing. Where are all the others? They should all be campaigning on this, Seth. This is a winning super-winning political platform. I totally agree with you. That's exactly right, Mark. And the only question I have then, you've spent a lot of time on the universities in America and in various various, uh, learned salons. The only question I have a hard time with is why someone like this professor thinks she, as the uh, parlance of our times goes, owned Josh Hawley. She and her supporters think that they won this debate. Are they in such a cabined world that they think UC Berkeley is the rest of the United States of America? Do they not get anything you just said? Is what you just said Esperanto to them? You, you, you know, what you just said is exactly correct. Yes. They are completely in a bubble. I mean, academia, I was in academia for a long, long time until I started working outside of academia. The parochial mindset is is extraordinary. They don't talk to anyone else. They deal with their colleagues. They live in this enclave of, of the campus. They don't interact. In fact, they have a kind of repugnance to any interaction with the non-academic, the non-intellectual world the liberal elite have gone behind the gate and and they and they've raised the fences and they believe we are the special ones we are in the places i mean everyone wants to go to berkeley and the ucla and stanford out there in in california they live very well they get all these people well reinforcing themselves all the time she's got a great job she makes a lot of money the pay is pretty good for a law school at at, at berkeley and she gets to live on on the left coast and she is constantly told by her superiors if you are a black woman in a law school in academia simply because of supply and demand you get tampered every single day so uh, yeah, I think that she can believe that she won. And, and I mean, did the, when, when she was speaking with Holly, you saw the arrogance yeah. that she had. I mean, she's talking down to Senator Holly, who was simply asking very direct, but commonsensical, respectful questions. He, he said, why do you use these terms? Mm-hmm. He, didn't, he didn't criticize her. I mean, there, there was no, no, there was no, no, but she had no problem criticizing him. She had no problem criticizing him, right? Oh. She calls him a name, uh, transphobic. I, I'm with you. Embrace it. We should embrace it. But this use, that deployment of these kinds of what shibboleths is that the right phrase, Mark? These kinds sure, of sure. yeah, clang words. They are used to shut down debate and shame people. And I kind of tell you, I kind of worry about 
the effectiveness of it if it does become effective, because where will that leave dissent in this country? My worry is it leads to more violence, quite honestly. I, I think that, that that could be the case. Uh, I think at this point that we don't have any open debate right. anymore. The public square doesn't allow – the public square is largely controlled by by left-leaning, leftist uh, places. The campus is supposed to be the place of open inquiry. That doesn't happen there. Uh, most of the media, the mainstream media and so Silicon Valley – it, it is it is really narrowing at this point. There's only one question, I think, for the country right now, and that's the vote. If Republicans wipe out the Democrats, the Democrats are going to have to examine their embrace of this hard identity politics, this radical leftist, progressivist, nominalist you know, reconstruction of reality, transformation of America. All there is, the, the key question is only the vote. Yep. They're, 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 they control everything else. It's the American people, whether we're going to have a fair election, great the Arizona law about citizenship and voting. Yep. That's, a, that's a wonderful thing. Yep. Every other state should be very careful. The Republican parties and all those swing states need to correct mistakes that they made in 2020 because that's all I think that is left. Man, Mark, I think you're right. People on the right. No, I think you're totally right about this. You see this just a little bit happening, this re- reexamination or self-examination. You see it a little bit in a few cities with prosecutors and county and district attorneys. I, I keep yeah. threatening to want to do an hour with you. I do want to do an hour with you. Uh, I'm going to schedule something in the next two weeks. We, this, there's a lot more to discuss on this front. If you're around, I'd, I'm going to reach out to you again, Mark. I only had a little time today, but I knew I wanted to hear from you. Um, I'm going to reach do. out to you, and we're going to do an hour very soon. Sounds good. Mark Bauerlein, thank you very much, sir. His book, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up from Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. You can see an example of that in front of Josh Hawley yesterday. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good people of Balance of Nature, making a great product. Their fruits and veggies I take every day, 100% natural, from the capsule to the ingredients. And the ingredients are a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables. Every single day, boost your immunity, your health, and your energy with pure, potent plant power. Check them out at balanceofnature.com, discount code balance. I want to close after talking with Mark. (laughs) He's put me in kind of a higher education mind. Mark Bauerlein has anyway. That point I was making about these professors that don't know anything old, nothing ancient, nothing that built the blocks of learning and intellectual discourse that created their teachers and their teachers' teachers and their teachers' teachers before them. With a quote from Leo Strauss, used it before, I think it's apt now. The reading of the morning prayer has been replaced by the reading of the morning paper. Not every day the same thing. The same reminder of man's absolute duty and exalted destiny. But every day something new with no reminder of duty and exalted destiny. Specialization. You know this professor is a specialist. Knowing more and more about less and less. The practical impossibility of concentration 
upon the very few essentials upon which man's wholeness entirely depends. The specialization compensated by sham universality, by the stimulation of all kinds of interests and curiosities without true passion, the danger of universal philistinism and creeping conformism. That's where we are, folks. Philistinism and conformism with a destruction of man's wholeness. Resist it. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Class is dismissed.